Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. On October 8th, the Tubbs Fire swept through our city of Santa Rosa. The fire destroyed over 3,000 structures, including 40 homes belonging to members of our church family. In light of this tragedy, we are teaching through passages that exhort us through seasons of adversity. Now let's join Pastor Ross with another message from the series entitled, Through the Fires. Heavenly Father, now we just want to jump into your presence again, remind ourselves that you're here, and it's your spirit who gives us life. Father, open the eyes of our hearts, and Lord, we want to be thankful. We want to be grateful. We don't want to be self-absorbed and cause your heart any pain by uh, not recognizing all our many reasons to have a grateful attitude. Lord, forgive us for dropping the ball and not rendering the thanks and and having that attitude uh, to inspire us to serve you each and every day. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I gave away in the prayer a little bit of what we're going to be talking about. Well, some context, especially if you're new and just joined us, Uh, Today will be the last in a series of what we're calling Through the Fires. And starting with that first Sunday back, we spoke about God as our refuge out of Psalm 46. And then to 1 Peter 1, the following Sunday, Refiner's Fire. And then we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and talked about the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that with the very comfort we receive, we can go out and comfort others. And Romans 8 was week 4 with more than conquerors. And this week, we're going to wrap up with Thanksgiving a few days off. You know, we're going to uh, talk about the gratitude for the grace that God has extended to us. And it's fitting, not only because uh, Thanksgiving is a few days from now, but because we have been recipients of such a outpouring of God's gracious help and support from donations and finances and hospitality to, to goods and services rendered on our behalf, we, of all people, are most blessed, even though, and despite of our struggles here in Santa Rosa with up to 40 families in our church um, fellowship uh, who lost everything, their houses, their possessions. And so I really felt my heart drawn as I've been saying, to a well-known, well-loved passage about being thankful, the beauty and benefit of gratefulness, which doesn't always come easy to us humans, does it? 
which is really a surprise considering all that God has done for, especially for believers, if you stop and think about it. Now, when I was poking around for an opening illustration about expressing gratitude, I came upon two examples, but two examples from the animal kingdom. And so I clicked on it just because uh, I was curious, like, what? Animals showing gratitude after they had been rescued. And so there was this pup in Romania. Sammy, I wanted to call you and get some insight on this, uh, at least to be able to say the name of that. Deja vu. Just kidding. (laughs) Well, there's a video, and it went viral. Perhaps you saw it, but the, uh, the dog found itself trapped in a canal with the cement sides, couldn't get up, and uh, was whining, just looked so hopeless. And two good Samaritans, fishermen, uh, they went in and they uh, managed to get the pup out. And the pup took off, doesn't know these two guys, but then circled back. I have a quote here. In the spirit of gratitude, this is from the article. The rescued pup rushes back to thank one of his rescues who lovingly caressed the pup and rubbed his head. But it was nonstop on the video, uh, nonstop wagging and the tail and, you know, just going crazy and nonstop licking. And you could tell with that, that little yelping, happy cry, you know, it was just kind of moving. And then after the husky, there was this humpback whale video clip. Now, let me set it up for you. The whale's floating lifeless and they all, everybody in the boat thinks it's dead. And then suddenly there's this spout, and they're, well, whoa, it's alive. So they find out that the, the whale is floating there. It's been entangled, and it can't move, and it is uh, near death. And, and so they, they start to cut the, the whale free. It took a long, long time. And then it just swam away in the distance and did a breach for them. Just And they caught it on video, but here's the thing. It circles back, and then it puts on an entire show for the little boat. And I've got a little clip of it. Yeah. So that's where she goes out, and she does her little flip, right? next hour, she provided us with an incredible full surface display. We saw at least 40 breaches, as well as tail lobs, tail slaps, and pectoral fin slaps. We all believed it was at least a show of pure joy, if not thanks. She's, she's, mommy, I know what she's doing. What is she doing, honey? She's showing us that she's all free. Yeah. I think she's showing us a thank you dance. She's doing a thank you dance, the little girl. Look at this, over and over again. Come on. I mean, I'm just kind of like, whales are smarter than we think. We saved this fantastic young life. It was an incredible Come on, when does that happen? Just over and over again. Isn't that beautiful? Now, it's there. You can't deny it. You can't deny it. Whatever's going on in that dog's brain and that whale's heart, there's some kind of happy um, response for being set free, for being rescued. 
And what comes natural in the animal kingdom doesn't always come so natural in off-core human. Let me give you an example. Here's what I'm talking about. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, this is Luke chapter 17, if you're listening on a podcast, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travels along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he's going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asks there a few questions. Were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this unlikely character from Samaria, of all places, a foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And so a delightful passage to take a look at this morning. A call really to be grateful by showing us the ugliness and the hurt in Jesus' heart for those who he heals and sets free but don't have a love, warm response. So, uh, yeah. The Huskies return, the humpback circles back, but where are the nine? Well, I'm going to suggest a few answers to that question, (laughs) as you could imagine. And uh, we'll take a closer look now at this very well-loved passage. It divides, uh, simply enough, uh, the first couple verses, verses 11 through 13, the cry. The second point will be verse 14, the command. And then thirdly, we'll wrap up verses 15 through 19 with the crime. The cry, the command, the crime. Now, it might be nice to be able to remove ourselves from the story with a distance maybe of 2,000 years, and that was then, and that was them, Uh, But unfortunately, we can't really do that. It would be nice to be able to point our fingers at the nine and go, what a bunch of ingrates. (sighs) You know, but sadly, (laughs) those ingrates, that ingratitude is a a part of our natural inclination of every sinful heart. And though God has blessed us and given us so much, we have this tendency to be ungrateful and not inspired by a spirit of thanks. And so we're in the story. We're in the story. God did a merciful thing and cleansed a bunch of people through the work of the cross. And so uh, please don't look at it from a distance, but up close and inward because that's, what we're supposed to be doing. Let's separate out those first few verses so we can get started and take a look at these 10 sufferers 
and their heartbreaking cry. Here it is now. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling along the border of Samaria and Galilee. He goes into a village there. And men are standing at a distance with this terrible disease called leprosy. And they're calling out. We're going to look at that. Well, of course, I've got a map for you, right? I got to get a map up there somehow. And here it is. Now, of course, he's at the border. He can't go into Samaria. They have gotten in a couple times. But generally speaking, the Samaritans and the Jews are at odds with one another. There's hostility there between them. I'm going to explain why. So he points out they're on the border. Of course they're on the border. Here's what's going on. This was northern Israel. And back in the days of 700 years before Christ appeared, northern Israel was conquered by the Assyrians. And they took captive the people and uh, took them away. And uh, Assyria is mostly north than northwest Iran, a little bit of Turkey, a little bit of Syria, but that's where Assyria took them away and replaced them because uh, Assyria wanted to still benefit from the land they occupied. And so they needed workers, but they took all the Jews away, but then they brought in their own workers called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians married those and they planted them mostly in Samaria. And those Assyrians uh, mingled with the remnant Jews, married and produced a race now 600 years old of this hat field McCoy kind of thing. And, And not only did it, it wasn't just a problem of a mixed marriage. It was a new faith. So the Samaritans came up with a new theology. They came up with their own temple. They did not go to the temple in Jerusalem as ordered in the scriptures. And so they built their own temple. And so there was enmity there. And this is important because as, as Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience and why it's important with the map to explain the Samaritan problem is that the twist in the end to the Jewish audience is the only dude who rings the bell and gets the commendation of God is the one everybody, first century listeners, despises and looks down upon. It's the good guys who are the ingrates and it's the foreigner who wins the prize is thankful and is modeling for the whole world a proper response when the God of the universe does something merciful in your life, how you should be. So that explains the problem. Thank you for the map. Now, all right, so (laughs) he's traveling along the border here, and we pick up now, and, and just know there's no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. That's the point of that. Now, they notice in your verse that they cry out together. You know, so 
10 men perhaps, and what happens to be, at least one, happens to be a Samaritan. Now they lift their voices together in unison. Do you notice that, that they lift their voice? Uh, and they called in a loud voice. It's just pointing out to you that there's a unity in their suffering. Then suddenly it doesn't matter that you're a Samaritan. It doesn't matter that we're Jews. So the national um, ways that they divided themselves with their prejudice, their hostilities. When you're all in trouble and you come together to pray, suddenly those divisions melt away. As Alexander McLaren put it, he says, when a flood sweeps in, you may find wolves and sheep huddled together on a bit of high ground. And so you have an unlikely mix of people now suffering and coming together and calling out in one voice, to the Lord for mercy. And notice they do cry together and they also, they cry from a distance in compliance with Jewish law. So Leviticus 13 has the sad instruction that if uh, in the law of Moses, that to prevent the contagion of a terrible, disfiguring, lethal disease called leprosy, this dreadful, incurable disease had to be quarantined. And so Leviticus in the law that said, if you have an outbreak, you have to go to the priest and, and you'll never get back into community unless that priest sanctions you as clean. But until then, you are unclean and just done terrible things. You have to be isolated from your community just a, a terrible, terrible thing. And so what is leprosy? Leprosy in the Greek, the Greek word that it comes from, lepra, means uh, scaly, all right, to describe the source. And, and from the Hebrew, when you're in the Old Testament and you read the word, it means to be struck because they saw it as an, a being stricken by this unfortunate, terrible disease. Now, in the 1800s, we renamed it Hansen's disease by the doctor who identified the germ, the strain of bacteria, actually. Now, even though we have antibiotics, leprosy is resisting, and it is still, to this day, two to three million people suffer, and it's tough. To cure. It is still tough to cure and it still does terrible things. Now, I had to do this because you got to understand the dynamic of not being thankful and, and why you should be thankful. All right? So I took the tamest picture I could find the feet. This is just modern day feet, right? Now, I don't suggest you scroll around looking because you, you, you'll have a hard time getting those pictures out of your head. The face is affected. The nerve endings are affected. Growth, lesions, ulcerations, oozing. You, your, your body is rotting away and you live a, a nightmare from which you cannot wake. Thank you, that was enough with the picture there, it's no wonder. Then they cry in a loud voice there. 
for me, which is worse, the emotional grief or the physical pain? Just imagine <clears throat> you're walking around and one day, hey, what's that little bump there? It's just a little, it starts out a little raised, pale, loses your pigment. And they all know exactly what to look for. And then you see it, you feel it, and you're just pretending your heart is racing. No way, because it's a de- not only is it a death sentence physically, it's a death sentence. You'll never touch your kids again. You'll never touch your wife again or your husband. You'll never be touched again except by another leper. You will be put outside of the community and they cluster together in little hideous, dreadful, homeless-like blights on the countryside kind of little colonies of forsaken. And in that world, cursed. That's what they thought. I don't know which is worse, you know, the emotional grief or the physical pain. I'm sure they tried hiding it, ignoring it, pretending it wasn't there, thinking about the nightmare to come. But sadly, once people saw it, and for the sake of their families, they went to the priest and they turned themselves in. And had it not been for the benevolent hearts of some, they would starve to death. People would take food, put it in a place, back up. They had certain feet, I think it was 15, 20 feet, and then go away. And they'd come out like feral animals. How you do, you feed them in the lot, you make sure the food is there. And then you step away because you don't want to get rabies, right? That's kind of what was going on. So I want you to think about it. I want you to feel the terror. I want you to feel, dear God, and God wants you to associate that with yourself because that, my friend, is an analogy of sin because of all of what I described. God uses analogy here that sin is infectious, contagious. It's an inward moral rot that isolates you and separates you, estranges you from God and sin. If you think about it, when committed, it estranges us from one another. It's very good description of what sin actually is. And interestingly, all maladies that Jesus encounters has symbolically, and they represent what salvation came to do. The blind. Salvation came to give blind eyes the light. I've seen the light. I see the truth. The deaf ears uh, that he opened so that we can hear God's voice and respond. The the weak, invalid limbs. The powerlessness to be who God created us to be. Salvation comes and gives us strength and we move and we walk with God. We were crippled before. And so all of the maladies that you see in the Bible have a higher significance. Jesus did not come simply to minister to the disabled, but in ministering to the disabled nature of man, he's showing what he truly came to do and that regards lepers. And the leper stands for us. And, that, and you'll notice that many times the verb cleansed is used instead of healed. 
He cleanses them because it is analogous to sin. And so this is what we're looking at here. And I just have a note here. Oh, yes, sin disfigures just like leprosy. A husband who's supposed to be guarding his family is checking out some woman at the gym. He's supposed to be faithful. He's supposed to be driven with integrity. And instead, he's filled with what? The, 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 the leprosy of lust, that rotting, stinking filth that is going to now estrange him from his family. And a wife can do the same thing. Someone steals from their boss, trusted employee. What's more leprous? What makes you look more ugly? What, what disfigures and disables you more than sin? It really is an apt illustration. So it's a loud cried and cry, and it's a, a directed cry at that. They direct it at their master. And so, wow, they know a lot for living on the outskirts of town, uh, friends. You know, they know a lot. They call him Jesus the master, it indicates somebody has told them. Romans chapter 10 says, how can anybody know and be saved and come to God unless someone tells them? Because faith comes from hearing. Romans 10 verse 17. There's only one way you get saved and you must hear. You must connect. So somebody went out there and talked to them and told them. You know, and, and, and who got close enough to a leper? Nobody wanted to get close. They didn't know about how far the distance, the contagion and all of that. Nobody wanted to go anywhere near. It took a very daring soul. And, and think of the spiritual application here, people, that somebody said, you know what? I'm going to be bold enough and compassionate enough and loving enough to get within earshot to show that I care, maybe dropping off the food, and maybe it was a former leper from chapter 5 who said, guys, listen to me. There's this man, he touched me, chapter 5. I said, if you're willing, you can make me clean, and he touched me, and look at me. I was just like you. Look at the evangelism analogy here. I was just like you. I had the ooze. I was disfigured. I was disabled. And then Jesus touched me. And that's why I want you to know about him too. And I'm going to get past the offense if I remember that I too, there but the grace of God go, I. Oh, I struggle with this all the time. I roll my eyes when sinners offend. That's sort of their job description, but it throws me every time I have to, I have to redo and reset in my mind and in my heart because behavior that offends me causes me to turn away, and now I don't want to tell the leper, as it were, where to find healing. And God just says, excuse me, but when you were a leper, you smelled the same way, you acted the same way, you were without hope, and you did those kinds of offensive deeds. Get over it. It happened, I've told the story before, God nailed me on an airplane with a woman who was sitting, just felt like she was strapped right to me. (laughs) 
and so drunk, she should have been removed from the plane. And she's talking so loud. I was reading my Bible. She's pointing me out to everybody. He's reading his Bible. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh. And I got up and I walked away. And I was in the bathroom for about three hours. <laughs> I wasn't even in the bathroom. I was doing calisthenics in the back of the plane. Because <laughs> I didn't want to go over there. And I just, ugh. And God was like, oh, you're the bridge. <laughs> yeah. You're the bridge. And yeah, maybe words wouldn't make sense right then, right? But the love in my heart to pray, to consider her a human being who needs Christ and not a forsaken leper. Get your forsaken leper list and tear it up. Because if we, we are the world's last hope. We are the bridge. We're the lifeline. So if the lepers offend you, who's going to tell them? Oh, we need to get over that and fast. Amen? So somebody told them, and they appeal. I love it. They call him master. Come on. They humble themselves. If he's master, we're your humble servants. And where water flows, wherever there's low-lying land. And in the same way, with a low-lying heart, mercy is easy to flow. Because God gives grace to the humble. It means low but he opposes those who are proud. And so they cry out, Master. Let's look next at the command. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) When he sees them, the commentators say, why doesn't it say when they heard him? Well, leprosy affects your vocal cords and makes them, there's a name for it. They used to call it. They gave it a, a title. It was just hoarse. So it's like, you know, with that, the vocal cords because it was destroying their, their muscles there. So he sees them. He, it's hard probably to make out exactly what they were saying. And he says something so incredible and so typical, typical I should say, of God. Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, oh, they were... Cleansed. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, this is my favorite part of the story. Guys, let me explain what he's doing here. He's going to extend the mercy, but there's a twist, isn't there? He's going to test their faith with an act of obedience. So, uh, master, you call me? Okay, do you really believe that I am? Let me test that out with asking you to do something sight unseen. I'm going to ask you to go show yourself to the priest. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, remember, to the, the priests were the health inspectors. So that when you had the problem, you had to go to them. Once you go to them, they're the only ones who could reassess and readmit you back into fellowship in the community. So he's saying, go back to the priest, show yourself. In other words, go back and get the stamp of approval. Excuse me, <laughs> we're leprous. We need you to heal us first. We don't need you to skip that part. 
and just tell us to go show ourselves, you know, and get the certificate. When, when we're standing here, I'm looking at myself, I'm smelling it, I, 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 I'm still hurting, I still feel it. You didn't come out here, wave your hand over me and say, you're leprosy. You touched the guy in Luke chapter 5. He told us. And now what's this? Just go and get your certificate. What are you going to say? Anything? How about a prayer? So that we can at least know, okay. But what you're doing, God, is you're asking me to act as though I've already obtained what you have promised me. Act like you believe that what he's promised is going to happen. That's pretty important. It's kind of that way. So all they have to do, all they have to go on is a word from the master in their diseased condition to go and show them something that they have not yet experienced to be true. This is how it is. And your verse says there, and as they obeyed in faith, they went on their way, they were healed. It's just so typical. Listen to me. A lot of people always just say, you do this, then I'll do that. When you show me this, then I'll respond with that. And God says, excuse me, something in your math doesn't add up. I happen to be God. You happen to be the created thing. I'm creator. So I ask you to do this, and then you'll receive. You step out in the Jordan, and then you'll see it open. You'll notice the priest in Joshua 3 had to step into the water. I know. Human inclination is, no, God, I'll step out in faith when you part the water. He says, no, you will st- I'll part the water when you step out into the water. And it says, well, as soon as their foot hit the water, then it opens up. That's the way he works. He does this everywhere. And so we might as well. And I mean, can you imagine the struggle? Go show myself. Go show the priest this. Are you kidding me? I'm going to get laughed out of the temple. I can't show him this. I need you to come over here and touch me. I need, no, 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 they got it. As you show me that you really believe the word you just said, master. And I'm saying go as if it's done because it is. As you turn and obey, you're going to see. That's when you're going to see. And they turn and obey. And how's this for in- inspiring you to walk the direction God sends you in? Every step of faith, every progress you make, more and more blessing. And, and so they're going, they're going. And they're watching before their very eyes as they're obeying in the right direction. They're seeing their disease be healed. That's the way it is in, in Christian life. Let me give you an example. A guy walks into a bar. <laughs> this is a true story. Guy walks into a bar, gets inebriated, and then comes to Wednesday night church here. His words, I've been drinking too much, I'll have a problem. I'm a smart guy, and I've told you this story before because I love it. I'm a smart guy, but I can't figure out this problem I have. I said, do you know the gospel? 
He goes, I think so. I shared the gospel. He said, yeah, I believe that. And I said, do you want to pray? We went over there. We prayed. We prayed with somebody who is, was at the time in a rehab program. A former leper. There you go. A former leper as well. So we prayed. And here's the deal. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. We prayed. That's all. Yeah, you're saved. Everything's fixed. Now walk in the direction of the temple, the temple in heaven. God's commands are at the temple. God's worship is at the temple. Follow me here. God's people and fellowship and serving the Christian life, the heartbeat of all things God is in the temple. Go that way. And as he did, every step from that wooden cross, he began to be empowered. By the time he got home, he's sharing with his wife. It's making sense. The dots are connecting. And by the time he was in church again, now he has a Bible because he's walking and in the walking and in the obedience to just believe he still had the smell of alcohol on his breath when we said in Jesus' name, amen. Just like the lepers. That's it. Just walk now. Walk in obedience as if you believe the word of the master, and then you will have healing. You'll have insight. You'll get it. I I just can't help myself. I'm sorry. June 3rd, 1979. You know the story. I come out of the bar. I had a vision. God spoke to me. 19 years old, never been in church. And I look up at the sky on the sidewalk with my brother and say, God, never again. I just said, you're right, I'm wrong. I didn't know how to pray. (laughs) But as I turned away from my old life and sin and took those steps, by the time I was in Santa Cruz to the only Christian I knew, my father, I got it. I didn't get in on the sidewalk. But I, 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 it made sense to me when I walked in the house and I gave a rather uh, sensible presentation of what happened to me. But I couldn't have done that on the sidewalk because I had already been walking in the direction. And my friend, is that what you're waiting? You're waiting for God's next step and he's waiting for yours. And you know what? Who's going to win that one? <laughs> He's got all the time in the world. And so make the step because that's where the blessing and understanding, the enablement, the healing, the strength of being saved happens. Let's finish up. Verses 11 through 19. We've seen the cry, the command, and now the crime of the nine. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, circled back, praising God in a loud voice, and now it's not horse. He threw himself at Jesus' feet in a gelatinous blob of wonderful praise and thanked him. (laughs) I don't know. These things pop in my head. I have to say them. (laughs) And he was a bad guy. All the Jews listening might as well have been said to a bunch of Americans. And he was a former terrorist. Hmm. And all the nine Americans 
were the ingrates. You get, you get the feel. Jesus has a barrage of questions. Um, we're not all ten cleansed. We're the nine. Are you kidding me? This is the only guy who comes back to praise me and God is this foreigner, Samaritan. So he, then he blesses the dude there. So let's talk about this. Now, I call it a crime. You know what? Well, first of all, I needed a C word to go with the cry, <laughs> the cry, the command, and the crime. Now, there were other ones that I could have picked, but I liked the crime. And I knew some of you might think, well, that's a little harsh. Uh, no, it isn't. It's not. It's a spiritual crime. If God's law says be thankful, and it's in the command tense, and then you don't want to be thankful or grateful, then you have transgressed a law, spiritually speaking. And by the way, a lot of sins, most sins are against the law. Stealing, thou shalt not steal. We got a law about that one, I think. You know, there's a couple of them. Defamation. Do you know it's against the law to defame somebody? <laughs> it's against the law. But God just calls it don't slander. If you write it down and do it, it's called libel. And you can go to jail for something like that. Pay a big fat fine. So I don't think I'm overdoing it with crime. It's a crime. It is a crime. In light of who he is, who we are, what he's done, and what we have done. It would be a crime to go around kind of puffed up with ourselves with no room to be grateful and no room to be thankful. So Jesus is, and the other reason I'm going to call it a crime is because Jesus is baffled by it and disheartened by it. He clearly is bummed out by his three questions. Number one, weren't there 10? He's saying, listen, I'm pretty good at math. I know the number of the stars that I created. I counted 10. You know, so I'm just asking if 10 received mercy, there should be 10. This is what he's implying here. There were 10 condemned prisoners, isolated, fearful, dreadful lives, a future of ever-increasing sorrow and suffering, blackest night. But with one stroke of the pen of heaven, everything's changed, the disease is healed, a life is set free, you go back and hug your babies, and no thank you? I didn't have to do it. I really didn't have to do it. No thank you, no praise. Uh, a great quote here, it says, can we deduce that a vast majority of those who God blesses have, a, 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 have an inadequate understanding of the riches of his grace bestowed upon them and, the, and a lack of awareness of how truly and profoundly indebted they are to the mercy of God. Second question, where are the nine? Son of God, he knows where everybody is. He knew where you were when he was asking that question and where you'd be every second of your life. He knows the answer. It's just, where are they? What are they thinking? What's wrong with them? What kind of people are they? They walk away from something like that and, and, and don't want to stop. 
And, and praise God. Charles Spurgeon said something like, all 10 were willing to do a religious ceremony, that is, go to the priest. Only one was filled with love and praise and thanksgiving. He says, external religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing that is. Nine obey ritual rules where only one praises the Lord. It just happens that way. Where are the nine? They got what I want to see Jesus. I'm sorry. I hate to be the one to say this. They got what they wanted and they're done with you. They're clutching the prize to the chest and they're off. Now, if the nine were here, they would say, excuse me, Jesus. That's what you told me to do. He said, go to the priest. I was going to the priest. Well, so was the Samaritan guy. But by Jesus' response, he clearly thinks they should be front and center. And so, you know, the sinful heart will find a gabillion reasons why they couldn't pause to be more thankful, gracious, uh, and have more gratitude in their heart to God. And listen to what happens when you have a gratitude. Uh, it, it's been said, gratitude is the mother of all virtues. Because a grateful person, listen, a grateful person realizes, whoa, I could have there, but the grace of God and fill in the blank, they're grateful. They feel indebted. They feel like I got a second chance. I didn't deserve it. But so they live from this space of happy, of, of magnanimous love and graciousness. So follow me here. A grateful person is kinder. They let you off the hook easy because well, it's like Scrooge. Scrooge is going to be this generous, uh, forgiving kind of guy because he realizes how grateful he is that God didn't let him die the death he deserved. And so he walks around passing out coins and, and doing good deeds. A grateful person's happy, more effective. They want to serve God. God can use them better. But here's the problem with, with people who are ungrateful. They're so filled with themselves and their own achievements, and they're so good at what they do that they don't feel indebted. They've got their lives so together that they don't feel the sense that God's really done much. Yes, he's done something technically. They realize that they're saved, but they're so together that they don't feel this, oh man, if God just stopped thinking about me, I would cease to exist. I owe everything that I am. Man, I'll tell you, every sermon I preach, every hour I study for the last 38 years, I've done as a grateful response to God. Every hard discipline, every sin that I've ever died to, I've done because I'm grateful to God. They didn't stay in that forsaken, blasphemous darkness. I should have, I could have, I wanted to. I ran for months from that voice. And I'm so grateful. I'm just a grateful guy. 
down deep. I, do I always show it? Of course not. But God will get more out of you. <laughs> People will like you better <laughs> because it'll be a lot more fun to be around. Because you're just plain grateful that you are not going to the place where a flame can never be quenched and the worm will never die. That's where you were going. That's where we all should be going. But the grace of God, for whatever reason, looked and said, that one, I'm sparing him. And now shouldn't you come back and throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and say anything goes? I'm going to overlook offenses. I'm going to be patient with the weak. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to be the nicest, sweetest guy you ever met, God, because I'm grateful. This is what he's asking for. Instead of a, a list of all the troubles and all the losses. That's why the Bible says in everything, not because of everything, but in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you. He, that's what he wants for you because you're going to be sweeter, kinder. I just read a study. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It says we now... Uh, as if you need one more reason to be thankful, here it is, if you do, more and more researchers are finding that gratitude doesn't just make you feel better and enjoy life more, it actually is good for your health and then clinical trials, blah, 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 blah. And it says, listen, lower blood pressure, less digestive problems, <laughs> overall good health an effective Christian life. And so, there you have it. Let me close with this last thought. Jesus went to dinner with a Pharisee named Simon, and they ate in a courtyard that's kind of open, ended there. And he got to business at the table in this sinful leprous woman. She didn't have leprosy, but you know what I'm saying. She was sinful and immoral. She bashed the party, entered the courtyard, heard all about Jesus, heard the gospel, and her life was changed. But she was still kind of known as a sinful woman. She burst on the scene and she's standing there by his feet. They're reclining and, and, and her tears fall upon his feet. So she's like out of her mind with love for the Lord. And she dries those wet feet with her hair. And Simon the Pharisee thinks to himself, Luke chapter 7, thinks to himself, if he were a prophet, he would realize what kind of leprous, what kind of ooh, cooties, what kind of sinful woman this is. So Jesus, who eavesdropped on every human heart he created... <laughs> He says, Simon, I got a question for you. And he says, speak. Tell me. He says, two guys. I got a story. Two guys owed a lot of money to somebody. One owed 500 bucks. The other guy owed 50. Oh, the, the guy they owed money to decided to have mercy. Neither of them could repay. So he just said, both of you are forgiven for no apparent reason. I'm just in a happy mood. Happy Thanksgiving. Get out of here. You don't owe me a single shekel. 
shekel. I threw in the He says, Simon, I don't know about you. What do you think, buddy? Who do you think loved the guy more? The guy with the $500 debt or the $50 debt? And he gets it and he says, I suppose. (laughs) I suppose the one who owed him more. And he says, you answered correctly, Simon. I'm going to give you 10 stars. Now, and here's what he says. He says, I'm just going to point this out to you because you're the $50 debt and she's the $500 debt. But if you only knew you're a $5 million debt. Anyway, he says, I came in here. Where was the water for the feet? You didn't even wash my feet, bro. You, You know what? But she did with her tears. Where was the towel, her hair, and how about the kiss, the little air kiss we do, bro? You know, the, you know that thing? You didn't even do that. But from the moment she's entered, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. So I tell you, it's the one who realizes the, the, ma- the, the magnificent amount of debt that loves the most. But if you think you've only been let off for 50 bucks because you're basically a good guy or you're a gal who's got it together and God really didn't have to let you off as much as the next guy, oh, his mound. You actually, (laughs) with that kind of pride, you're the bigger debtor and he's done a greater job of mercy. Right? So... If you're saying, hey, I need to get going here, let me just tell you, just every day remember what it was like without God in your life and who you would be except the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, take us back daily to when we had no money, when we, <laughs> when we had a doctor tell us, oh, that looks terrible. And somehow we got through it. And somehow now we can pay our bills. Take us back to where we wanted to say terrible words and do terrible things and break the law. Take us back to our leprous days. Show us a vision, God, of of what we were and where we could have gone except the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.